I am super excited to be here. My wife and I have been praying about this day and just being excited about this day. It seems like forever we've been like kids waiting for Disneyland uh, to get here to be with you. So we're uh, so happy to be here with you. We're thank you for this opportunity. Uh, Today is going to be a little bit of a different of a message for me. Typically, I will, you know, preach systematically and uh, expositorily through a passage of scripture. But today's going to be a little bit more topical, and I did that for a purpose. I felt like it was what God wanted me to tell you today. So uh, let's pray one last time, and then we'll open God's word. Dear Jesus, God, we pray as we enter into this time of opening your word. God, that you would speak right into our hearts today, God. Lord, I pray any bit of distraction, God, and any bit of uh, focus issues that we might have, God, I pray you help us to put that all to the side and realize the only voice that we need to hear right now is your voice, God, and that you have something specifically and personally for us today. God, we love you so much, and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. All right. How many have ever read the book, Great Expectations? Has anybody ever read that book before? Uh, it might have been something that you would have needed to read in high school or in college, uh, but the main character's name is Pip, which coincidentally was one of my nicknames growing up. So I'll give you that uh, you know, little bit of ammunition. You can make fun of me about it later. Uh, my grandmother used to call me Pip, and uh, a couple other names I used to have was Philly Cheesesteak, and Philip McGastank. So you can use those if you want to as well. Uh, but the book uh, was called Great Expectations. As you can see, that's the title of the message today. Uh, but the main character, once again, his name was Pip. And he was a, uh, a poor boy in the Victorian age in this fictional story. And he had helped someone. And because he had helped someone, later on he had received a large sum of money, And the world just seemed to have opened up to this poor young Victorian age boy. He had high hopes of becoming a gentleman and marrying a girl named Estella. But Pip had great expectations. And that's why we have the title here today of the sermon. See, I believe that the difference between a, a service and a Sunday gathering, between one that we really feel like we connect with God, and one that we feel like we're just going through the motions. The difference, I believe the large part of that is our expectations. How we come into this room. And whether or not we're ready, whether or not we've been preparing, whether or not we've looked forward to this day, or whether or not the first time we think about what's going to happen on Sundays when we walk through these doors. Expectations are very important. See, I don't believe when we have a good Sunday and an exciting Sunday where God really moves in our heart and changes something. I don't think God's any more powerful that day, right? I don't think God just loves us any more than he did the day before. I believe a large part is that expectation. See, expectations are the act of looking forward, that anticipation. See, the biographer Matthew tells us in the Gospels, uh, about some people who did not have great expectations for Jesus. We're going to see that in Matthew 13 and verse 58. It says it up here on the screen, I believe. 
This is the verse. Listen to this. This is a reaction uh, of Jesus' hometown, the city of Nazareth, to his ministry. And it says, he did not do many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. See, these people weren't expecting much out of Jesus on that day. And because of their unbelief, he didn't do some things that he otherwise would have done. See, expectations are very, very important. And miraculous things happen when people are expecting. I saw you guys have an amazing amount of children here, and that's awesome. Uh, a church that doesn't have children, you know, that's a problem because it has no future. And it's awesome here that you have this great future, but you've seen some families that have been expecting, right? We see the miraculous miracle of life when people are expecting. I want you to say something back to me, and I already see that you guys are a church that kind of participates, which that's awesome because, uh, you know, this isn't just, you know, the Phil Wayman show or something like this. This is we're here together, gathered uh, to lift up the name of our Father. But I want you to say something back to me. I'll say it first, obviously, otherwise you wouldn't know it. I'll say it first and then you say it back. You ready? God is not motivated by unbelief. You guys are awesome. That was great. Let's try it one more time. I'll say it first again, just to make sure we got it right. God is not motivated by unbelief. God is not motivated by unbelief. All right. You guys are awesome. See, time and time again, in the New Testament, we see the Pharisees, the, the religious elite, those people that are very legalistic, they're concerned with the laws and with the do's and the don'ts. The Pharisees, over and over again, asked Jesus to show them signs and miracles. And we're going to see that here in uh, Matthew chapter 12. See, they sought for a sign to get Jesus to prove who he was. And they didn't believe, so they wanted some proof. And we'll see that here in verse 38 of Matthew 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus says, no, stop looking for a sign. Stop looking for me to prove myself to you. I'm the God of the universe. I've already given you the word of God. In that time, they had the Old Testament, the prophets, Jonah, all the other prophets. So you don't need a sign. You have enough. Even the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. God doesn't need to prove himself to us. We see later on in, uh, in a, a different account from the biographer Luke, it says uh, in chapter 11 of Luke 29, it says it in a different way here. It says this generation is an evil generation because it seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. See, Christ rebuked those that tried to get to the Messiah to prove himself. The creator of the universe does not need to prove himself to us any more than we need to prove our strength to an ant. I've heard people say before, you know, I was, I was going through a struggle in my life and I was going through a hard time and I just was out there in the woods alone walking around and I, I prayed, I said, God, if you're real, then strike down this tree. The God that made the tree doesn't need 
to do some kind of miraculous sign to prove himself to you. He does that every moment that you've got blood, blood pumping through your veins and synapses firing in your brain. God doesn't need to prove himself to us. And God is not motivated by unbelief. Now, we see a totally different reaction, though, when faith comes first. See, God is motivated by faith. We see that in Mark uh, chapter 9 and verse 52. Jesus is here ministering to the man the Bible calls blind Bartimaeus. Jesus said unto him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. A totally different reaction when faith comes first. Your faith has made you whole. See, some of us are waiting for God to do a miracle here at Clarksburg Baptist Church. We're sitting back. We're waiting for something to happen. And look, I can imagine that it's very hard to go a long period of time without a pastor. It feels like you're spinning your wheels and you're just going through the motions, just trying to make it to the next Sunday. You're looking, you're waiting for God to do something. Some have maybe even fallen by the wayside and they've given up hope and they're no longer here with you, walking together. And that can be distracting as well. But see, God is not motivated by unbelief. And when faith comes first, then we see a moving of God. Don't put the cart before the horse. Don't sit here and wait for God to do something. No, put the faith on the front hand and start acting as if God is going to do something. My teacher in a college used to say, if you pray for brain, you better bring your umbrella. Right? And some of us have been walking around here with no umbrella, just hoping that the rain would come. We're not prepared. We're not ready. We're not seeking. We're not asking what we could do about it. We're just sitting around, and we're hoping that something would happen. But see, the, we're part of that solution. See, we are the hands, and we are the feet. The Bible says, how can they hear without a preacher? See, when Jesus left after 33 years of a ministry here on this earth, he left the mission to you and to I. Those are big, big shoes to fill, right? But that's where we're supposed to be in this community. When people see us, they should see Jesus. It's a big responsibility. We saw in Matthew, it said, he didn't do many, many mighty works there because of their unbelief. There are many times Jesus did, didn't do things that he wanted to do because the people lacked faith. I wonder how many times God has desire, desired to move in our midst, but he didn't because we weren't ready. And because we had unbelief, I hope it's never said of this church that God did not do many, uh, many mighty works. That's hard to say. Many mighty works. See, many of the churches, I've been in a lot of different churches, and I've served in a few that were pretty dead. And don't ask me which ones, because I don't have to tell you. And then we'll both be gossiping, and it's this whole thing. But there's a lot of churches out there that are just sitting around. And they're dead and they're dying because they have no expectations of what God can do. They don't want to risk anything. Oh, we can't try that. I don't, I don't know about that. And the biggest day of the year 
is their homecoming, especially down south. And I don't know if it's a big thing around here or not, but it's the biggest day. They have bands come, southern gospel bands, and they have fish fries and peanut boils and all that kind of stuff. Every year on their homecoming, the biggest thing of the whole year that they're concerned about is making it one more year. And they tick another year off on the calendar, and that is success to them. We survived. But God didn't leave us here to survive. He left us here to thrive. And praise the Lord for that. Because look, isn't it? Have you ever thought about how weird it is that you have the Bible and the gospel 2,000 years removed from the cross and thousands and thousands of miles removed from Jerusalem? Right? Why are we in this church building worshiping God in West Virginia? Isn't that amazing? Do you know how we got here? Because people just like you and I, we lived out the gospel, we, said, we told people the good news, and we did the work. But see, when we sit back and we just wait, God's not motivated by unbelief. We need to start the preparation and start having big expectations for what God can do. See, we know that God expects so much more than just making it through another year. Why? Because healthy things grow. And if the church is healthy, it'll grow. Maybe not necessarily always numerically. Growth comes in a lot of different ways. We can deepen our faith and we can spiritually grow in different ways. But see, just like Jesus had disciples as Christians, we're supposed to have disciples, not disciples to ourselves. You know, a bunch of, let's call it a cult when you do that. Uh, <laughs> Not like that, no, but we're making disciples for Jesus. And we're raising the older generation coming alongside the younger generation and saying, hey, this is how you do. You might say, well, I don't even really know all the ins and outs of the Bible, but you can live life with somebody. You can live life alongside somebody. As, as an older woman, you can come along a, a side of a new mother that maybe that doesn't have a great family that's their support and you can do a big ministry and even if you don't know theology and, and all the uh, ins and outs of the Bible you can live the gospel but so many Christians have quit dreaming for God we stopped looking for what God wants us to do and maybe we don't want to surrender to God's will because we're comfortable and we're scared to know what God's plans are for us. I was listening to a guy one time, and he was talking about how uh, someone was telling him that uh, he worked in a sausage factory, right? And this guy was saying, hey, look, let me tell you what's in that. I don't eat that stuff. Let me tell you what's in sausage. And the other guy's like, no, no, I don't want to know. Because if I know what's inside the, you know, the little wet, white specks, I, hopefully it's vitamins is what... <laughs> You know, I, I want to believe that it's good for me. Don't tell me. And some of us, that's where we are with God's will with our lives. I don't, I don't want to know. Because if I want to know, I have to make a decision. We're sitting back and we're waiting. Or maybe you're the type of person that you quit serving long ago because you feel like you've done enough. I've served my time. I've put, it, put in the time. It's time for someone else to step up. Maybe the one that says, well, you know, things really are, I, I can't make a big difference. Things really are only going to change if everyone 
gets on board. But everyone starts with individuals. And you could be that one that starts the crowd of everyone getting ready for what God is going to do. I encourage you to dream big. Have a big vision for Clarksburg Baptist Church and your Christian walk. Why? Because this city needs you. Look, we've got harebrained ideas to make money, right? Have you ever watched the show Shark Tank? There's some crazy ideas out there to make money. My wife and I love watching that show, and, and we saw one day there was an exercise bike they brought on there. They were real excited about it. It was an exercise bike that was hooked to a blender so that as you're exercising, you could be making your smoothies, right? They thought this was going to be a great way that they could make some money. There was another one on there that uh, was pet paint. For those of us that really have a strong desire to spray paint our pet, but we're worried about the, uh, the harmful chemicals, right? My favorite that I've seen on there, though, is, is called Waken Bacon. It's an alarm clock that cooks bacon for you. And you wake up to the sound and the smell of crackling bacon. They thought this was going to be an awesome idea. Everybody's going to want this thing. But see, the problem with it was that you had to put raw bacon in there at like 9 o'clock at night, and it sat at room temperature the whole entire night. And I'm sure that wasn't a health hazard, and you're probably not going to get botulism. But I had this harebrained idea to make some money, right? We've got harebrained ideas to make money. We've got harebrained ideas to have fun. There's this thing uh, called noodling. Has anybody ever heard of it? Yeah, you swim around in a shallow pond and you stick your arm into deep crevices and you wait till a catfish bites it and then you bring it up out of the water, right? That seems like a blast. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've seen these. In Georgia, they have these things called alligator snapping turtles. They're about this big and they look like dinosaurs, right? I'm not sticking my arm in any dark holes. I had a guy that uh, played in our band at our church. He played the bass and every year he would go to Arizona, and he would catch rattlesnakes. That's what's, he loved it. That was his fun. And I don't know about you, but I'm not that kind of Baptist where I handle snakes and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> we have crazy ideas. Uh, not too far from here, we drove on it. Uh, it's called the New River Gorge, right? It's a big thing where people bungee jump off of it, right? You strap a rubber band to your back, and you jump off a bridge. You would think natural selection would have taken care of all those people, <laughs> right? We've got crazy ideas to have fun. We've got crazy ideas to make money. This last one, and I, this is my favorite, right? It's called extreme ironing. What it is, is, is for those of us that are really excited about extreme sports, like kayaking and rock climbing, but you also really love a freshly pressed shirt. So you go into these different places and you iron in extreme places. They have a league for it and everything. Google it, I dare you. What I'm trying to say here is that people have crazy and daring and creative ways to have fun and to make money, but why can't we dream creative ideas and creative dreams to reach the people in this city? William Carey said this, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Hey, we need to have that expectation that God is going to do big things. 
But faith comes first. The preparations come first. And the action comes first. And then the moving of God. I believe we ought to do everything possible, short of sin, to bring in people to Christ. You might say, but dreaming big is risky. It can be scary to tell God that you'll do whatever he wants you to do. I can relate. The very first thing that God really moved in my life was uh, from moving from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to Hot Springs, Arkansas. Talk, talk about a culture shock, right? I was scared to death. I heard banjos the whole way. It was scary. But out of that, that very first thing where it was a big thing where I just got to jump. I don't know what I'm going to do here. I don't know anybody here. And I, and I moved because of that, I'm married to this young lady right here, and every single ministry opportunity that I've ever had has come from that. My son and my daughter, my, all my best friends, because God said go, and, and for some reason, I had the faith in that moment to do what God told me to do. I believe that God still wants to do big things today. I don't believe that the church is over and the church is dead and dying. I believe we've stopped expecting. I believe we stopped looking for it. I believe that we have bought into the lie that everyone out there outside these doors are atheists, right? And they're not looking for anything and they're, and they're just all too well off. And that's not true. See, the people that believe that are the people that really don't get outside these walls very much. And the only people they know are Christians. But if you get around lost people, they're searching for something. And they have big needs and they have big questions and we have the answers. Maybe not me, but it's all in here. We need to have great expectations for what God's going to do in our lives. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us why we should have great expectations. God says here, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You can rest assured if your heart is beating, God's got a plan for your life. God's got a future planned out. Uh, the King James says, good plans for you. It's for your good. I tell teenagers all the time as I'm a youth pastor, serving God is in your best interest. Yes, it's not always going to be easy. It's not all, you know, you're not going to get random checks in the mail and be able to buy Lamborghinis and all that kind of stuff. But serving God is absolutely in your best interest. Luke 12, 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, we've got a reason for expectations. Why? Because God's still on the throne. God's still in control. We still serve a big and powerful God, and he has plans for us, and he has plans for this church. And when we come into this sanctuary, it ought to be bristling with excitement. Every moment should be pregnant with expectations. Why? Because your favorite speaker is speaking? Absolutely not. Why? Because the choir sings the, the song that you love? Absolutely not. Why? Because the worship leader sings that hymn that you like? No, absolutely not. But because we serve a big God and he can do big things and we're hanging on every moment, 
Because the next moment could be that moment where God uh, restores a relationship with a, a husband and a wife, or a, 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 a sins are broken, or a life is changed. Expectations bring two things, and I'll, I'll be done here in just a minute. The first thing expectations bring is preparation. When you're expecting, you're going to prepare. When a storm's coming, you're going to go out. Uh, most people are going to buy uh, milk and bread and eggs because I guess everybody wants to make French toast, right? <laughs> and the salt trucks are going to get all ready and the plows are going to get all gassed up. People are going to prepare when there's a storm coming. When a baby is coming, you're going to paint the room. You're going to go and get some clothes and some socks with little bunnies on it and and you're going to put together a crib, and even though there's some extra pieces and some parts, it's all right. <laughs> when a baby is coming, you're going to start the preparation. Expect great things from God and then start the preparations for him to move. We ought to prepare every Sunday like God is just going to bring the exact right people, and we're ready. And we're ready to speak, and we're ready to encourage, and we're ready to pump people up, and we're looking for opportunities for us to live out the gospel. Once you're expecting, you're going to start working and getting ready. You're going to get in the Word, and you're going to start praying throughout the week. See, if you're not walking privately with God, but you come in here on Sunday, and you act as if you are, it's fake. Bum, bum, bum. Let me say it again. Hey, if you are not in prayer and in the Bible... Throughout the week, and then you come in here on Sunday and you act as if you are. It's fake. Now, I know that's harsh, but let me tell you something. I've been fake, right? That's been me. I've gone through the motions. I haven't been expecting at times in my life. See, a church's spirituality is dependent on the individual's personal walk with God. You can't depend on a pastor. You can't depend on a worship leader. That their spirituality, that we can all just jump on that and ride it into success and effectiveness. No, it depends on your spirituality. The Bible is a gathering. I mean, excuse me. The church is a gathering of believers together. It's not just one person. It's all of us. We are the church. What would happen if we would open our Bible, trusting God that he would change our life through that morning's devotion, that morning's time with God. I think we all could admit that we've cracked open this Bible just habitually, not really looking for anything. And I'm on that boat as well, sadly. But what a difference it would make. How silly is it for us to go and do that, right? The, the creator of the universe wrote us a love letter, and he's given us everything that we need in order to thrive in this life. And sometimes we just go through the motions. What if we prayed and we acted as if we were really talking to God and he was really listening to us and that he could really answer those prayers if it's in his will? Is everything going to happen that we ask for? No, because God's not a genie. And praise the Lord that he doesn't answer every prayer that we pray because we, a lot of us would be married to different people, right? I remember at 13, I'd, I'd pray, hey, God, please let that girl talk to me. You know, please let her like me. Praise the Lord for that. Because you'd end up seeing them later on, and you're like, oh, I dodged a bullet there. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for not answering my prayer. 
Look, you can rest assured in knowing that God has good plans for us, plans for the future, plans that are in your best interest. Maybe it might be uncomfortable and maybe there might be some stretching and maybe there might be a little bit of suffering, but it's always for your good. The Bible says that all things work together to, for good for those that love God and those that are called according to his purpose. For praying for rain, we've got to bring an umbrella. Expectations bring preparation. And secondly, and lastly, expectations bring attention. If you're expecting something important in the mail, you're going to be looking for it. Anytime I ever order anything off the internet for Noah, every single day it has his attention. Daddy, can I go check the mail? Daddy, can I go check the mail? Daddy, is, the, is that thing here yet? Why? Because he's expecting. And it's got his attention. But I wonder how many blessings we have missed because we were distracted. I wonder how many times we've sat through a service that could have changed our lives, but we weren't paying attention. I believe God desires every church to be filled with new Christians, but too many of us are not expecting and we're not preparing and it doesn't have our attention and people walk in and we don't really say anything and it's kind of awkward and we don't step out and get out of our comfort zone. We aren't preparing and we aren't paying attention. We're distracted. For some of us, our problem is we're looking back. And we talk a lot about how things used to be back in the good old days. How things were better and how young people this, in this day and age, they do this and they do that. And Luke uh, 9.62 says this. Jesus said unto him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And I don't know much about farming. But I do know one thing. If you're plowing a field and you're looking behind you, your rows are going to be all messed up. You can't look back and look to the future at the same time. So won't you join me in once again having great expectations for what God can do in our lives and in the church? Because change starts with expectation. Change happens when you see a problem and you have hope and you start expecting that God could use you personally to fill in a gap. Do you need proof that you should have great expectations? Well, just look at this church. It's been here for over 150 years. You can't tell me it hasn't weathered some storms. You go back here and you look at uh, uh, the pictures of previous pastors, which I've done several times, and it's scary a little bit when you go back. And there's some men wearing blouses and uh, you know, they've got giant beards. One of them looks like Theodore Roosevelt. But you can't tell me that those men haven't weathered some storms. And you can't tell me they haven't gone through some things and seen some miracles happen here. But see, the best way to honor that legacy is to be effective now and to pass that legacy on to the future, our children. God still wants to use this church because this city needs this church. But God is not motivated by unbelief. Faith comes first. So let's raise our expectations for what God can do. And this may sound mean, but the reason some people aren't here today that used to be is they didn't expect anything was going to happen. The reason some people don't participate in small groups is they don't expect that God is going to move in their lives. The reason that some people are here this Sunday but won't be back next Sunday is we've lowered our expectations for what God can do. 
We wake up and, I don't know, I bet God doesn't do anything today. I'll just stay home. See, God has expectations for your spirituality. Do you? God has goals for your Christian walk. Do you? Lynn Anderson said this, that we must not resign ourselves to settle for what is, but rather we must press toward something better. See, so many of us are just, this is how things are. We're comfortable. We don't want to get uncomfortable and change is hard and we don't want to do that. We like to stay the same way that we are. But see, doing the same thing over and over and over again, they, they say that that is called insanity, right? Keep trying the same thing over and over again. It's not working. Hey, when we see something that isn't the way it should be, we need to dream about what could be. Robert Kennedy said this, most people see things as they are and ask why. But in our day, we must see things as they could be and ask why not. When Tori and I drove through here, for the very first time, we saw all the houses and all the cars and all the people. That's such a huge opportunity here for this church in the middle of the city to be able to do something awesome. We saw some people that were walking down the street that maybe are on the wrong side of the tracks proverbially. Hey, some people could say, oh, that's a bad thing about it. No, that's an awesome thing. That's a place that the gospel can be exercised. That's a, a life that God could touch in a, a, such an amazing way that you could see the results. Pip had some great expectations, but they're nothing compared with the expectations that we have for God. And if we can get back to that, it would be very evident in our services. The worship would be amazing. We'd be excited about telling people what's going on at Clarksburg Baptist Church. Hey, we'd be excited to invite someone. If we'll come prepared, we'll come looking with our eyes open and we'll worship and we'll wait for that moment that God is going to move instead of looking to the left and looking to the right. So dream big for Clarksburg Baptist Church. This city needs you. See, even when times are tough, we know we have the greatest expectation of all. And that's found in Titus 2.13. It says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, there's going to be a day where Jesus comes back. That song talked about he's going to break through those clouds. We're going to get called up. We've got a big hope. And see, biblical hope is not just a wish. It's not just a, a hope. Well, I hope it happens. No, it's an expectation and a desire for certain things to happen. And this verse says that Jesus is going to come back one day. Are you looking for that blessed hope? Tori and I had a, a young person from our church pass away last week. He had an aneurysm and uh, they took him to the hospital and he basically you know, didn't have much brain function. And Tori and I sat at the bed and we prayed with his mom and, and we prayed over him. But there was something amazing that we saw in her eyes. And that was hope. She, she had the hope that in this terrible situation, in this terrible storm, she had the hope that one day she was going to see her son again. And she had the hope that something good, she was excited about the fact that as they were going to donate these organs to other little kids and it could save up to eight people's lives. She had hope that God could bring something amazing. I'm not here to tell you that I would have that much faith. 
But in that storm, God gave her that much faith. And she had that hope. She was looking forward. In your storm today, you've got that hope. In that financial problem, in that relationship problem, in that health issue, you have hope in knowing that one day, if you're here and you're a child of God, that you will have all those issues will be passed away. In college, when I took public speaking, they taught us about pregnant pauses, which sounds super weird, right? Or it was another way they said it was the power of the pause. And this is how it works. You start a sentence, right? And it's like this. God is eternal. Or how about this? God is loving. And what they're trying to do there is they're trying to build the anticipation, right? And that pause has power and that pause has weight. And I believe when we come into this sanctuary, we ought to have that anticipation. And we're waiting for what God wants to say for us. And we're ready. God, whatever it is, I'm ready to do it. John Piper says this. When we meet together as the body of Christ, the beloved of God, under the word of God, in the power of the spirit of God, God can do amazing things. He can heal the broken marriage. He can humble the most arrogant. He can clear your confusion and anxiety, and he can catch the one fallen into hopelessness, and he will convict you of the ugliness of a hidden habit that's quietly destroying your life. Then you'll walk out after meeting him under the word, by the spirit in worship, not resolving to be free, but free. I wonder if your expectations are that high. This is what he does when his people gather in worship. God still wants to do something great. God's not dead. God's not sleeping. God's not too busy. God's ready. Why do we get something out of one service as opposed to another service? Why do some people seem to get something out of every service every time they read the Bible? I, be, I believe a big part of that is our expectations. Because expectation brings preparation. You're going to get ready. Expectations bring attention. You're going to be looking for it. See, hope and faith are just other words for expectations. Do you have great faith? Do you have great hope? Do you have great expectations for what God can do for your life, for this community, and for this church? Let's please stand to our feet and uh, bow our heads. The band's going to come. No one looking around. This is a, a private time between you and God. If God spoke to your heart this morning, this is your chance to act upon that. Every head's bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. I want you to ask God, God, what do you want me to do with what I heard today? This is a time for action because there's no reason to ever get up here and speak unless action is had. Maybe you've lowered your expectations for God in your life or for this church. Maybe it's time to get that right. God, forgive me. I haven't been looking for what you would have for me. It's time to get our expectations back. It's time to put faith first. Maybe you're guilty of looking to the left or to the right, and you're supposed to be driving the plow and looking forward to what he would have for you. Well, it's time this morning to refocus. Maybe you're here this morning, 
and you're unsure of that greatest expectation. You're unsure that if you die today, that you would see heaven. You're not sure that if you would walk out of this room and get uh, in an accident, that you would see Jesus. You haven't repented of your sin. You haven't placed your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. You can get that settled here today, once and for all. The Bible says that there's four ways that you can know. For sure. That when you die, heaven will be your home. There's four things. The first is this, you've got to understand that you're a sinner. Every single one of us has done wrong and we've thought wicked thoughts, we've said wicked things. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We fall short. There's no way that we can earn our way to heaven. There's no amount of church attendance or amount of giving that could purchase your way into heaven. Why? Because God cannot fellowship with sin. Heaven is a perfect place and God cannot allow sin there. The second thing you've got to understand that there is a penalty for our sin. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. Because of the things that we've done, not only are we not, uh, we fall short of heaven, but we also deserve hell. But Romans 5.8 says this. It says that God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. You were guilty. I was guilty. And Jesus took that punishment upon himself. He said, I will take the punishment. And he died for our sins on the cross. In fact, the Bible says he became sin for us. Romans 10, 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never done that before, you can't go back to a moment and a time where you called out to God. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I deserve hell. Please forgive me. I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning from my selfishness. And I'm turning to you. I put all my expectation of this next life in you. I put all my faith, all my hope in you. Not anything that I've done. If that's you here this morning, I want to invite you to be brave and to be bold. No one's looking around. It's a private time. We're not going to embarrass you in any way. We're not going to bring you on the stage or make you say anything. But if that's you here today, I would never leave a service and not know for sure that heaven would be my home. I'm going to invite you to step out right now. We're going to have someone meet you here at the front. They're going to take you to a private place. And, and if it's a man, we'll, we'll put you with a man. If it's a woman, we'll put you with a woman. And we're going to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that when you leave this place, heaven is your home. As the band plays, you have that opportunity to step out and we'll meet you here. Amen.